This week, your child's imaginary friend might be real, as this woman finds out. Then, murder or accident, the ghost of Toronto's lighthouse is strong. The following is a personal experience. Now, this is something I have heard about in the past. And when I was a kid, uh, imaginary friend was just, you know, that's just how it was. And I never really thought anything of it. Even as a kid, you've heard that term and maybe you had your own. I don't think I ever did. But for some parents, it, it becomes very real in the sense that their child almost sees this person as a living friend. And it might not just be their imagination. And this is the subject of the segment here is the idea that one of the reasons why we shut down our psychic abilities as we are a child is because we're told things like an imaginary friend with quotes around it doesn't actually exist. So that reason, it can be very confusing if you are actually displaying some type of psychic ability. So I'll just jump into the experience here. This was posted by a woman on the website Reddit. And on Reddit, there's a few sections where you can actually post your own personal experiences. And this one surrounds her own imaginary friend. So I'll get into it. A, a quote I was told when I was about two or three years old, I had an imaginary friend named Michael, and I talked to him frequently. Now and again, I'd stay at my aunt's house. It was her task to watch me while my mom was at work. And when I was at her house, she asked me one time that, who was I talking to? Now, I didn't really realize in the moment, it was like I was talking to a real person in my mind, but I replied the name, the name of my friend, Michael. And she says like, oh, okay, what are you guys doing? And I replied, he's looking for his mommy. I need to help him find his mommy. Now, what happened next was very weird because I, I thought my aunt would be like, I'll help him, I'll help him. But it says she freaked out. She couldn't even stay around me. She left the room and she ran to my grandmother and I could hear them talking in the other room. Now, I didn't understand why this was happening at the moment. And on that day, they, they thankfully were able to both calm down. And for the rest of the time that I was there, they kept fun and happy. But I knew something, you know, the little kid sensitivity that something's amiss. I had it. Now, I'd find out the reason why later on when I was a bit older. And the reason why is they told me that they were freaked out is because years before I was born, I used to have a cousin. I didn't know this. He was only five years old when he was in the car with my aunt and my grandmother. The made a, a mistake was made, the car swerved and crashed, and my aunt and grandmother survived. But my cousin didn't. Now, sadly, he died in that accident, and I found out later from my aunt that my cousin's name was Michael. So my imaginary friend is connected is that this was my cousin. And when he was asking me to help him find his mommy, I didn't realize then what I know now is that was my aunt. 
I completely understand why my aunt and grandmother was so freaked out on that day. Now, nobody in my family talks about him or what happened during the accident. So it's a good example. This is Daniel. It's a good example of an imaginary friend. And in this case, it actually is connected with the family itself. So the energy of the cousin comes back and remains around his family. That's how he chose to communicate. I guess, you know, unresolved situation is the reason he couldn't move on. Now, there's no mention in this story. If Again, if I were to ask a question to this person, it'd be like, what happened after that? Do you still hear from Michael or he's gone? My assumption is he's moved on. I guess there's some kind of closure that might have been needed with the aunt and the grandmother for the accident that had occurred. So when it comes back down to imaginary friends with children, this is something that uh, always fascinates me. Because I always wondered, and I do find this out with some psychics that I've met over the years, is the psychics, when they have kids, they don't try and suppress the natural psychic energies that children have. If anything, they'll, they'll allow it to build up. And I'm always a fan of that. And you might be saying, oh, why would you want your kids to communicate or see dead folks? Well, it's the intuition that comes along with it. Because it's not like the horror movies. In most cases, they may hear stuff. Things might pop into their head related to situations that are surrounding them. That's totally fine. But what it comes down to is that there's this deep intuition that we've lost over the years that sadly has evolved out of the human race to be able to kind of read the energies around us, to know when something is amiss, to know when there's something wrong. So when the kids are born with this, this natural ability and it's uh, over the years it's kind of pushed more and more down, I think that's you know taking a gift away from them. So I'm all for you know keeping this in kids, and if they have imaginary friends, talking to them about it. Don't say, oh, it just can't possibly exist and just, you know, ignore it. It's not real. It's in your imagination. Talk to them about that. See, see what they're seeing. See who they're talking to. See what they're talking about. You, you may be surprised in the sense with this, this young lady here, how she had a connection with the cousin. I assume it brought some closure to the aunt and the grandmother. I don't know if maybe one or both of them were feeling responsible for the death of Michael, you know, this brings some closure to know that he is, you know, hopefully in a better place. Well, he's communicating with the cousin. It doesn't look like he's being tortured or anything like that. So he's probably in a better place. If you talk to your kids, not only will you open up their imaginations, open up that psychic ability, but as well, you might find out something interesting, something that, you know, a piece of your family, a piece of your past could be trying to communicate something to you or to somebody in your family. So not only are you supporting the child in their abilities and supporting them in, if you don't believe it being real, in their imagination, allowing them to create more, but if there is something realistic to that, well, that's just on a whole other level. So then they, you know, get older they go to elementary school, they go to high school, you know, they have this, this deeper intuition that helps them with others so that if others are feeling emotions, they're going to pick up on them much quicker. So you'd have, you know, less worry about the person not, 
you know, what's the, like, a, they won't be a sociopath, basically, because they'll be able to pick up on empathy, and they'll be able to feel sympathy towards others, because those emotions will, you know, strike like an aura around the person, and if they are close to them, it just creates an even closer bond. And I do think that the most intuitive among us who are most in touch with their own personal energy are also more desired in the sense that you want to be around them more. You just feel something different about them. And I would think you'd want that, you know, for, for a child growing up, especially in the world today, to have this, this, this special view into things that's balanced and healthy and energetic and I think as it goes forward, they'll also be closer connected to their their passion in life, you know, what they've been put in this reality to do. And those who find their passion earlier and earlier in life usually end up more successful. They definitely end up with every job they end up in. They're not going to make as many mistakes. I mean, that's just a small example off the top of my head on what promoting the intuition in your in in the child would would lead towards you know something that i think you know deep down is definitely an advantage in life especially today when so many people out there are disconnected to have a child who is completely connected and who is comfortable in their own skin who is comfortable in silence is just such an advantage and something to be promoted now this isn't just to say that an imaginary friend is the secret to the universe of raising children. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Please do not take that from this. It's not even close. But I am saying, you know, there's some experiments that can be done in this situation. And I really don't see offhand a downside to it. Uh, if, you, if you disagree with me on that, I would, I would love to hear from you. I, I do have a contact form, by the way. So if anybody needs to get in contact with me, I know I don't promote the email address as much, but if you just go to the, uh, just search Ghost Guide Daniel on Google, and it should come up with the ghostwalks.com page. It's my main one, and there's a contact form on there. So if you need to get in touch with me, you can do that, or go to Facebook and Instagram, just Ghost Guide Daniel. You can talk to me through there as well. And if I say something here that you don't disagree or you disagree with, you can send me a message saying you're wrong. And tell me why, and we can get into a uh, quote-unquote spirited conversation. I really do enjoy about talking about the city of Toronto. Now, if you're from southern Ontario and you know that I, I live in the city of Hamilton, you're probably thinking, why would somebody from Hamilton love talking about Toronto? If you don't know what I'm talking about in that regards to the uh, competition that the two city has and consider yourself lucky because there is i mean the people from hamilton don't usually like toronto people from toronto don't usually like hamiltonians it's just this this back and forth but in the ghost world this is definitely not the case in the ghost world we're all standing hand in hand together to figure this all out you know it's just it's just nice nice that way so when it comes to history and ghost stories I don't really care what city is in. I don't really care about any old competition that occurs. If it's a good story, it's a good story. If it's a great historic location, then that's true as well. And this is a great historic location. Now, what I'm going to talk about for this segment is the lighthouse on Toronto Island 
called Gibraltar. Gibraltar Lighthouse is the second oldest in all of Canada. Now, some of you might have thought it was the oldest, but it is not. In fact, the oldest one doesn't even really look that old, which is kind of strange. Uh, the oldest one is on a small island called Sambro. And if you've ever been to Halifax, which I highly recommend, one of my favorite places in Canada to visit, I love it there. If you go down to the harbor front and you stare out, you look to the right, you're going to see this tiny little island. So Sambro Island was very pivotal in the defense of the city because if you're coming in off of the ocean into Halifax Harbor, you have to pass by that island to get in. So if there was any type of threat that was coming from the outside, I just love the way they designed the city of Halifax. You have to go past the island. So you put a garrison on there, you put some cannons and some guns, and you've just protected the city. So, you know, very, very pivotal. So there is a, a lighthouse that exists on Sambro Island that dates back to the late 1700s. But the one on Toronto Island, Gibraltar, uh, was built in 1808. So it's really not that far off. So it was built in 1808. The purpose of it, of course, was to guide ships into Toronto's harbor. And it stood there for 150 years as an active lighthouse. And it wasn't until 1958 that they finally shut it down. Now, thankfully for us today, unlike what the historic town of Niagara-on-the-Lake did by demolishing their lighthouse, we kept ours, or Toronto kept theirs. Look at me. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so into this that I actually made myself a Torontonian for a second. This is quite amount of growth for me. Ghost Guy Daniel is growing up. So they, they, they kept it, thankfully, and they, they, they looked after it, kept it for future generations. I'm happy it's still there today. I visited it a couple times. It is a beautiful lighthouse. Now, it was named Gibraltar. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Gibraltar or Gibraltar. Now, this was a British-owned point at the edge of the Mediterranean. So a former lieutenant governor, the first one of Ontario, John Graves Simcoe, uh, he's also considered the founder of York, which would eventually become Toronto. Uh, he's the one who gave it its name. He was actually, he was well known for naming lots of things, even the town of Ancaster, where our spooky hermitage ruins are located. Uh, Ancaster was a name given by John Graves Simcoe. So he was one of the ones that pioneered and helped build Ontario, which eventually spanned out into all of British Canada. So he, he's the one who gave the name. Uh, he chose the site of the lighthouse on Toronto Island. I don't know if there was a bit of a copy there to make it kind of like Halifax. Kind of is in a way. Uh, so yeah, all these lighthouses are being planned. That was one of the pinnacle ones. Now, the lighthouse itself, back in the 1800s, it wasn't electric. It actually started running off of whale oil. It became electric in the winter of 1916, took till the next year to, to figure that out. And then the light was finally turned off by the last lighthouse keeper, a man named Dee Dee Dodds, in 1957. I guess there was a bit of a delay over to 1958 that gives it its... 150 years of history. Now, what has this lighthouse seen over the years? Now, one of the main things was the Battle of York. So we had a, a war here known as the War of 1812, and there was battles throughout southern Ontario. Uh, we, we have some of the locations like Niagara and the Lake featured on our tours. 
the Battle of York, which is Toronto, is what happened in Toronto. So the lighthouse was standing when that occurred. Now, it was during the war that the lighthouse keeper named J.P. Radmuller, he was a German immigrant, he's the one who kept watch. And one of his jobs was also to keep watch for enemy ships and friendly vessels so that he can then sound the alarm. He wasn't like, you know, John McClane and Die Hard. He wasn't going to go and stop the enemy on his own. He just had to watch and then sound the alarm. Now, unfortunately, though, Radmuller, even though he was a dedicated steward, he didn't live to see the full end of the war. Now, this is the mystery of it. Because we really don't know deep down what happened to this man. Now, as people say, oh, it must be that he was murdered. Most likely he did die. But all we do know for sure is that he disappeared. The mystery started on January 2nd, 1815. Now, Radmuller, it is set. Now, keep note, because we don't have all the information, this is mostly legend. There is some facts that are sprinkled into this that historians have found out that I dug up for you guys. But most of what I'm going to talk about is just guesses on what occurred. So Radmiller befriended two British soldiers who were stationed on the island. And JP, he was known that he would brew his own amazing beer. It was very popular. These soldiers, you know, took a, very, a liking to it. They heard about this. They come to the lighthouse. They drink the beer and they leave. Many times they came back to drink They'd sit and talk with the lighthouse keeper about the war, about life in general. And on one night, the legend states, the soldiers were drunk. Now, thinking about ending the night, they thought, hey, it would be perfect. Let's go see our friend, the lightkeeper, and drink some of his brew. While some say it was a drunken accident, others say that it was out of anger. But they, the, the, the thought is, is that Radmuller didn't have any beer for them if he was running low or didn't brew any that day, and that somehow he fell off the side of the lighthouse. Now, other people say that his head was bashed in with a rock. Some say he fell off the lighthouse. I mean, there's multiple versions of this, but they say he died, whether it be accident or murder, but that he was dead. But we don't know for sure because we never found him. Because they say that the, to hide the accident or hide the burst of anger that led to murder, those British soldiers dismembered J.P.'s body and buried it somewhere on the site around the lighthouse. Now, I'll just fast forward for a second to say that they never actually found a body. But there was somebody, I'm trying to remember if it was a future lighthouse keeper or if it was a historian that found a jawbone on the land, but I don't think they were ever to fully connect it to being Radmuller, just that there was a piece of human remains there. Now, this could be really any, I mean, it could even be native times that it came from, but some say that that proves that, you know, he was murdered and dismembered because they just found the jawbone. They didn't find anything else along with it. So the court's, you know, they actually disagreed with the whole situation, saying it was murder. I'll give you one of the uh, one of the statements here. Uh, it was a local newspaper known as the York Gazette ran a uh, brief story 
saying that the uh, the lighthouse keeper died a violent and bloody death. And a lot of people are saying it was very convoluted, that it wasn't, you know, based in reality. And I want you to really enjoy this old speak for a second. You might not understand it, but just really focus in on these words because I absolutely love it. Quote, From circumstances, there is every moral proof of his having been murdered. If the horrid crime admits of aggravation, when the inoffensive and benevolent character of the unfortunate sufferer are considered, his murder will be pronounced most barbarous and inhuman. The parties last with him are the supposed perpetrators and are imprisoned. Now tell me that isn't the greatest newspaper quote. I really wish they talked like that today. I don't know about you guys. I see a lot of these newspaper stories where they're, you know, talking about crazy. If they talk like that, it would sound so much cooler. <laughs> Just say. So anyway, this there's the York Gazette. This this um, this reporter here obviously believed that the soldiers were the perpetrators and that they murdered J.P. Radmuller. But in this case, the the courts disagreed because a trial happened only a couple months after the death. You know, not too long, so the, the facts were still fresh, and the soldiers were found not guilty of a murder. Now, when you try and dig into the reasons why, there's not a lot there. Unfortunately, not too many details. So I'm, I'm interested to know, I mean, uh, I've read a lot of opinions on what happened here, and unfortunately we're talking about something that is, what, uh, 200 years, over 200 years in the past, the facts are not going to be fresh on this. It's going to be very difficult to pull up information to prove what exactly happened to Mr. Radmuller on that day. But I mean, is they, they, the situation was there for an accident or murder. I'd like to think that the two soldiers seem to be friendly with Mr. Radmuller, but who knows? I mean, there also could have been some kind of um, uh, racism that could have been put into that considering he was a German immigrant dealing with a couple of British soldiers. So maybe they were just pretending to be his friend and just using him for the brew. So, I mean, if you consider that and if they had some kind of deep ingrained hate, I don't know, you tell me if, uh, if the British and the Germans got along back then. I know in World War One and Two they didn't for sure, but maybe back then it might have been different. I, probably not. But if there was that ingrained hate there, it's like disrespect for the guy and then not providing the brew mixed in with the soldiers being completely drunk as well. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster right there. So maybe they didn't mean to kill him. I, I, I kind of stand back when I hear that his, you know, if his head was bashed in by a rock and it was like a, a brutal death at the hands of these soldiers, I'd step back and say, I'm not sure about that. But I would maybe agree that there could have been an accident involved. That when the brew wasn't there, maybe they thought he was lying, and in their drunken haste, they chased him up the stairs, and he fell off the side. You know, either way, it was an accident, but in the end, those soldiers, if they did come clean, would have been found guilty in some form. Because if they had never showed up, they, you know, the lighthouse keeper would still be alive, and I think they knew that. So covering it up, mixed with the fact that his death was an accident could be a good reason why in the end the trial was ended with a verdict of not guilty because you didn't really have the evidence of murder and i'm sure these these soldiers when they were presenting themselves were presenting themselves as pure angels 
And then if there's not that, you know, um, set stage for a violent death and it really was just an accident, I could see why the not guilty is just, you know, there's no benefit of the doubt here. Or so there is a benefit of the doubt. So then they're let off of murder. So that's my personal opinion on the situation. So if you mix in the horrible accident with a bunch of lies, I can understand why in the end the lighthouse keeper is dead and that these two soldiers were found not guilty. Now, I tried, man. I tried to dig up some ghost stories on this place, and really, I'm surprised. I thought I'd find, like, some really detailed accounts, but it seems there's only the, you know, the general ones. You know what I'm talking about. I always uh, I talk about this on my tours. Like, you got your detailed stories where a person actually can talk about what happened to them, and the ultimate is when you can actually connect it to true history. But then there's the, the elements. So the ones like, you know, I heard footsteps in the room or a door slammed on the second floor. There's no detail to that. You know, that's just an element that's talked about that an occurrence happened with no validity to it, no foundation to it. So it seems to be what I can find here. So I did find an article on the site NAR City. And it says that there's been various reports of people who have visited a lighthouse. And uh, most people think it's haunted when they go there. So they're ready for that. So people have heard low moaning noises through the corridors. Like, I guess you, if on rare account, you can actually get inside the lighthouse. That's what they'll hear. They've also heard the sound of banging at the top of the stairs. Now, one witness uh, said that they heard whispers of help echo throughout the lighthouse my guess is that the witness knew the history of the place saying that it's probably the lighthouse keeper you know asking for help and another person who was visiting said they actually saw an apparition and they believe that it was jp which is short for john paul radmuller uh in a uh, in a in a doorway so i mean from the low moaning noises to the help to seeing the figure i mean obviously it seems to be centered around jp radmuller himself now, i would i would personally wonder thinking with the history that this lighthouse has had that there would be multiple energies and spirits there and even from the sense of toronto island in general with all its history i think that a, a good paranormal investigation of the area would be very warranted so if anybody has that ability to have a nighttime investigation, please do let me know. It'd be something I'd be interested in taking part of because I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by this location. It's secluded nature, it's deep history, and lack of known history and lack of known ghosts, those usually don't go together. So you have a deep history, you have a very focal location, you have a big city where it's located, Usually there's tons of stories, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Now, I love the fact that they did focus in on the history, but it seems Mr. Radmuller has taken all of the history for himself and all the other lighthouse keepers, including Mr. Dee Dobbs, never really had their time in the sun. So there, there's more. There's more to be found here, and maybe in the future it will be found. Anyway, that's the show, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but there's a very quick way to support me. Please do leave me a review. However you listen, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever, I don't care. 
Uh, let everybody know what you think of the show. It helps me out. It helps the show. And it gives me the motivation to keep doing this for the rest of my life. I appreciate every single one of you. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week.